0: this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And you know, every week I always say this is a special week because I love all of my guests so much. Uh, I just appreciate getting to meet so many different people week in and week out. But you guys know how (laughs) there is one person in particular that I talk about quite a bit on the podcast. I love his videos, but I just really appreciate him as a person. And so this person I reached out to because we are getting ready to hit a pretty major milestone here at good nurse bad nurse we're going to hit because of you all because of you we're going to be hitting 1 million downloads in the next just a couple of weeks at some point point in the month of may so i'm going to try to time it to where when this it releases it's going to be somewhere around that time so i reached out to him to see if he would be willing to come on as a special treat of course for me too but for you guys somebody that you would, I know, would enjoy listening to and would be uplifting. And he's just absolutely delightful. And lo and behold, he agreed to come on the podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Nurse Blake to come on to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome,
1: Nurse Blake. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tina, for having me. I think your podcast is amazing. And I'm so happy to celebrate one million downloads of your podcast. That is huge and not easy to do in the podcast world. So you should be super proud of yourself.
0: Thank you. It is, uh, it's quite overwhelming to just to think about. And I certainly never, planned it or imagined that it would happen when I started. It's We're actually also about to hit our three-year anniversary, which it just happened to coincide. We started it around the end of May three years ago in 2018. And it was really as a way to, well, I guess what I'll say is when I first started nursing, I was very discouraged. And I think that I didn't understand that the first year or so is very, very difficult, but that it gets better. I didn't really know that. And so I thought I had made a huge mistake. And I actually was a little bit negative to some some people who were wanting to become a nurse. And so once I figured out how much I love nursing, I felt so guilty about that. And I was just like, Maybe I should start a podcast or do something to try to announce to whoever would listen. I thought maybe two people and my, my family would be listening, but that's really the purpose really for to just try to get the message out there to new grads and nursing students that nursing is very difficult. There's no doubt about that. It's worth it and to stick with it if you are a new grad and you're struggling. So that just turned into, I don't even know what, it just kind of took (laughs) on a life of its own. And I'm just along for the ride. So
1: (laughs) Uh, I love that. That's awesome.
0: Well, you guys, this is going to be, for the most part, a pretty typical episode. Sometimes we have to do trigger warnings because some of our stories get a little dark. I did not want to have a, a story like that for this special episode. I want everybody to be able to listen to it. And so I picked a story that is... Definitely interesting. In fact, there there is a Netflix movie that's very loosely based on a story similar to this one. And so we're going to talk about that one a little bit as well. So got a, a bad nurse story, the good nurse story. Is of course I've, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. Going to be Nurse Blake, and we're going to talk to Stop. him. No, I I'm, I'm not going to let you do that because you <laughs> oh, your videos, of course, they're hilarious, and I think most people know you for those. I want them to to know the other side of you. I want them to understand the things that you actually have done that have which those videos I think change people's lives as well. For one thing, they just I just they'll make people laugh, but I think they teach people as well. So we're going to talk about that. And then we have our new segment that we're doing, our satire news uh, segment that will be at the end. And we'll read a little funny article and then maybe have a little conversation about that.
1: This is great. I haven't been a guest on a podcast in years. I bet it's been like three or four years. So this is so exciting for me. I love it.
0: Well, I appreciate you choosing my podcast to come on. I'm, I'm just so thrilled. So I guess we can get started with the... Story that we're going to do. This is the case of Evelyn Mokwa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mokwa? Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, pr- I practiced saying that name before, and then all of a sudden my mind just went, wait, how did I say that before? It is spelled M-O-K-W-U-A-H. So I told my husband the other day, I don't think that people who have just regular names like Smith and Jones do anything bad. It's all people. It's all people with nothing but consonants for names. True. So we're going to just call her Evelyn. She was a registered nurse. She owned, which this is, I can't even, this is crazy. She owned two healthcare facilities that provided services to Medicare and Medicaid recipients in the Houston, Texas area. First of all, let's just get this out there, people. If you haven't learned anything on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you should have learned by now, don't do anything wrong in the state of Texas.
1: (laughs) No, I worked as a nurse in Houston, Texas too. And they are, yes, you do not want to do anything wrong in
0: Texas. Nope. They crack the whip. Yes, hard. they do. Yes, <laughs>
1: they do. Every um uh, part of the Texas Board of Nursing, you actually get a newsletter every so often, and they list all the names and the license number uh, of any nurse that's you know either being investigated against or they've had a ding against their license, and it's all public record. Of course, they do.
0: <laughs> so, word to the, the those listening, if you haven't picked up on that now, let's just establish that up front. So starting around 2005, she served as the director of nursing at a facility called Chris Even Health Management Corporation. And then sometime later in 2011, she was able to open a newer facility called Beachwood Home Health, where she also served as the director of nursing administration. So about three years into her first venture in 2008, she caught the attention of Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid, and Medicare services task force does not sound like the type of uh, organization that I want investigating <laughs> me. So their headquarters is literally located down the street from where she was operating these facilities. I cannot imagine the boldness of this woman. <laughs> they were investigating her for filing erroneous and extra claims. They said that there was evidence that she billed Medicare, and Medicaid for services like home health when they really didn't qualify for home health. They claim that she paid recruiters to find patients who were Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries just to get them into her facilities and then would pay doctors off to sign off on their falsified plans of care for those
1: patients. She had a whole team, a whole team of people.
0: I know. It's unbelievable. Over the course of eight years, up until 2016, when she was caught, she would defraud Medicare of over $20 million. $20
1: I, mean, million.
0: I have no idea how people... I don't know how people live with themselves knowing that they could be caught in any moment. Like, I don't know how you enjoy life. And if you can buy cars and you can live in a or whatever it is, your lifestyle you're trying to afford, I... I mean, I know that when I get home after working a shift, if I reach into my pocket and find two Tylenol that I forgot to return, I'm sweating bullets and expecting the FBI (laughs) to knock down my door and
1: raid my house. Right. (laughs) For sure. You know? Totally. I don't get it. I worked as a care coordinator at a level one trauma center in uh, Seattle, Washington. It's very much like a social work role. Like you're caring for patients and if they need home help, you got to go through all the paperwork. And that is not an easy process it's a long process and you do have to get sign offs from the physicians or the doctors or nurse practitioners and the fact that she did this and falsified documents it's wild
0: it's very wild and i it's it's just the thought of her being able to recruit other people into it physicians i mean it's it's just crazy so although it's not entirely clear exactly where or when she met this other nurse but she met this nurse named Amara And again, Oparanozzi is her last name. I mean, I'm not making this up, people. She joined Evelyn working at Beachwood Home Health and helped in the plot to defraud Medicare. So what are the odds that there is another person where you live that is so bold as to defraud the government millions of dollars? I mean, statistically, that can't be very likely. And yet there they were running at each other on the beach. I mean, I cannot, (laughs) cannot even. So interesting side note. Amara, the one that came on later, appears that many of her records were sealed. And although she's often noted as a co-defendant, the stories focus mainly on Evelyn. Mm. So Amara had her own, illegal, her own legal trouble separate from, that, from this whole case. Um, she was charged with felony injury to a person with a disability. Mm. And that incident occurred while she was working for a state facility in 2010. So allegedly she had attempted to help cover up an assault of a patient by a staff member that had led to the, the patient's death which is just unbelievable. Um, when she was interviewed and later testified at her own trial she gave a false statement about her care of the patient. So the outcome of that case is not clear but that uh you know charge that charge carries up to a 2 year prison sentence but there aren't any records that she actually spent any time in prison so it's it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a side note, like, I, I it's like a little bonus story.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's disgusting. I don't understand mm-hmm. how people uh, could could do that. That's, that's awful. And at the end of the day, you know, when cases like this happen, it kind of makes the whole profession look bad.
0: Yes. Yes, it does. And, uh, you know, what one thing that we say a lot um, on this podcast is that there are bad people, there are bad mm-hmm. people everywhere. And they unfortunately do end up in healthcare. And, we don't want to just pretend like it doesn't happen. We want to shine a light in the darkness. Is what we say mm. here and show. Just tell people like this stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. We need to be aware of it. We need to be looking out for for it and mm. be advocates for our patients and yep. other people.
1: Yeah, and hold people accountable.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So interestingly enough, she actually was caught right before they were caught for fraud. Uh, this whole thing was kind of coming. To an end with this other case, and it made me wonder when I was kind of reading about this: Is there a chance that Amara, with all the stuff she had going on, kind of got the attention of the authorities and directed that, and they started looking like, "Where are you working?" And Ooh. oh, this was and and poor Evelyn, you know, and all her schemes. She's right, like, man, I'm just out to defraud the government. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody, you know.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that probably is what happened. Mm-hmm. I think you're so right on that point.
0: So, cases like this are definitely being thrust into the the public eye more and more. We've done a few of them here on this podcast, talking about uh, different healthcare people that you know defrauding the government, Medicare, Medicaid. So, a good example of that is the Netflix movie. It's called "I Care a Lot." It has Rosamund Pike. It also has Peter Dinklage. So, Rosamund Pike, she's been in lots of different movies. She's well. She was in Pride and Prejudice, and she was in Gone Girl. And so, she plays this very sleek, well put together woman who is a guardian and that's literally her job she goes before the judge and she says your honor the doctor says that this person is just not fit to, and she just comes across just the judge is just like okay yes absolutely we will i will put this per and i mean who wouldn't and i know it's a fictitious it's fictitious it's not it's not a true right. story but it could totally happen hello all of the other episodes i've ever done so, this could happen yeah You have a doctor signing off saying this person is incompetent and cannot make decisions for themselves. Okay. Now you have this guardian going for the judge saying, "I, it's okay. I will step in and I will make decisions for this person. So the judge is like, great. Person can't make decisions for themselves. Well put together, sleek person can make decisions for them. Seems very well intentioned. So what she does though, is she, they deliberately, of course, pick, very wealthy people to do this to, and then they sell their home, they sell other possessions, divide up the money, use a very small portion to actually take care of the person, and then it's just, Mm. it's eerily like the actual story that happened. And I just think, you know, if Evelyn didn't do something like that, I Don't think it's too far-fetched. Think somebody would do it.
1: How do you sleep at night? I Mm -mm. don't understand, like the fact that Evelyn was able to defraud Medicare over twenty million. Like that money and resources can help so many people that need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just you know, being in healthcare, we see it all the time. You know, there's definitely a lack of funding for many patients out there, and it's just at the end of the day, really sad to see people being taken advantage of.
0: That's the thing that I think that maybe someone like Evelyn and amara and and this fictitious person in this movie they would think well and and of course in the movie they were hurting people but Someone might think, well, if I'm defrauding the government, it's the government they have plenty of money. But you're right; there are limited resources, and mm-hmm. I see that all the time. People who don't, you know, have enough money to pay for their medication, so they end up back in the hospital with blood pressure issues or blood mm-hmm. sugar issues, and and it's just so incredibly sad. They would be compliant; they would take care of themselves, but they just can't afford their medication. So, yeah,
1: they don't have the resources to do it, and and just getting reimbursements from. Uh, hospitals, you know, caring for patients, there's a lot of hoops, you uh, hospitals, you know, have to jump through if a patient comes in with a certain disease process, you know, they're only reimbursed for a set number of days, whether based on the diagnosis, whether it's three day hospital stay, seven day hospital stay, in order to be reimbursed. And if that patient stays longer, you know, they don't get reimbursed for those days and re-emissions if a patient leaves and comes back, There's no reimbursement for that. So yeah, at the end of the day, it hurts other patients, you know, that need help or resources.
0: Exactly. So the Medicare fraud strike force that we talked about earlier that was just down the street, that was basically Evelyn's neighbor. (laughs) Talk about the people in your neighborhood. Right. They start they, you know, started investigating her. And that organization actually operates under the US Department of Health and Human Services. And their goal is to harness data analytics and combined resources of the federal, state, and local law enforcement entities, they have a lot of backing. They have a lot of power. So you don't want these people investigating you for sure. That's scary. So they were first started in 2007, and they've since identified billions of dollars in fraud as of 2019 and had pursued over 4,000 defendants. So just be careful, people. That's not something you want to mess
1: with. Yeah, for sure. You got to think if they found Evelyn, there's so many other people that mm-hmm. are doing it and not being caught.
0: Yes, exactly. Eventually, they did call in the FBI and local authorities to investigate, arrest and charge the women. And in June 2016, Evelyn and Amara were indicted on counts of health care fraud by a grand jury. An arrest warrant was granted on the same day. The women paid a, a deposit on their bond of $1,000 each and quickly got attorneys, of course. So by the end of June, both had entered a plea of not guilty and had a a jury trial and had been decided and set for 2017. Evelyn would face a four-day trial in the summer of 2017 in the face of damning evidence. Patient after patient testified to their own health levels and what they had or had not needed while their care was being overseen. And so, you know, they're looking at her claims. Did you Mm -hmm. need help, you know, home health? No, I did not. I never needed it. I was, you know, that Uh sort of thing. So the conclusion of the trial saw her charged with five counts of healthcare fraud. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison and ordered to pay back $20,402,607.21. Woo! And that's what
1: happens. (laughs) And that's that's what happens. Yeah, that's a lot of time. 10 years, Mm a lot of money, $20 Yeah,
0: the Department of Justice reported that Amara, the one that kind of came along a little bit later, at some point in these proceedings had changed her plea to guilty and was awaiting sentencing. There hasn't been an official update on her status since August of 2017. Her name remains off inmate records, both in the state of Texas and federally, but weirdly, there's a notation in the case file that just says release from custody in May of of 2020. I wonder if it was COVID. I kind of wonder, you know.
1: Who is who is documenting on her? I, I mean, <laughs> we have to document everything. Like there's so many gaps in this documentation. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So Evelyn, on the other hand, is not set to be released from federal prison in Texas until 2027. In June of 2020, she exhausted her attempts of compassionate release. If This is not irony. I don't know what is. Due to her husband ailing with early onset Alzheimer's, which is horrible, of course, yeah, for him. awful. And the courts yeah. ruled that her two children would have to be responsible and that she did not qualify for release. So, mm. you know, and, and this is sad yeah. and very distressing for them. I would never, you know. Th- right, for it's sure. Horrible. Horrible. But you have to just see the irony there that she spent most of her life building up a business that was meant to take from people. Yeah. And then she's now unable to care for the person that's closest to her. So yeah. that's just sad. It's
1: Sad, sad. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just a, a horrible that, you know, she even took advantage of those people. And when you do that, you unfortunately have to pay those consequences.
0: I guess we can get into our good nurse story. And oh my gosh, here we are. So, it's your time to shine. Like, I'm serious. I want to celebrate all the amazing things that you've accomplished as a nurse and an activist. And I have a a few questions. And uh, it's so funny, because I I sent him the questions before just to kind of give him an idea of of, uh, what they were going to be. And I was just like, yeah, I already know most of the answers to these questions. But most people don't. I don't feel like most people know the awesome things that you've done. First of all, how long have you been a nurse?
1: So I graduated from the University of Central Florida back in uh, 2014. So I'm coming up on seven years, which is just wild. I can't believe I've been nursed for seven years. It goes by fast, isn't it? It goes by so quick. I've been lucky enough. I've worked in many different settings uh, in many different states. I've worked in uh, Florida, South Carolina, Texas, and Seattle, mostly at level one trauma centers. That's definitely my background and what I like to specialize in. I like You know, the sound of an ambulance, I like the adrenaline rush. And I've worked in different roles in those settings. So, anywhere from, you know, working as a staff nurse in the ICU, liver transplant ICU, to working in injury prevention, doing more community health, uh, trying to prevent falls and motor vehicle crashes. And I've even worked as a care coordinator, which you talked about a little earlier in the podcast at one of the level one trauma centers. So, you know, assessing the patients that we had on our trauma surgery unit and making sure that when they went home that they were ready and had all the resources that they needed, you know, to be able to recover.
0: Such an important role. And one that I think that a lot of nurses, especially new nurses, don't know a whole lot about. So that's Ah. really cool. Uh, There are lots of roles that nurses can do, not just bedside. We need bedside nurses, of course, Mm -hmm. but there are lots of different things you can do if for some reason you decide that's not... Something you want to do or maybe don't want to do anymore. Maybe you don't want to go PRN. Care coordination is definitely something you, you could look into.
1: Yeah, it definitely made me realize the importance of the discharge process. You know, I think we put so much importance on the admission process and we should mm-hmm. putting the same amount of energy, if not more, in the discharge process. Because once that patient is out of our care, we need to make sure that they're safe. Mm-hmm. that they can heal have the resources that they need to you know prevent further injury or prevent even a readmission so i let nurses know like whenever you're discharging it's it's definitely a process that can be easily rushed especially when you have pressure on the hospital to turn over rooms and get you know patients out and as a nurse it's so hard especially when whenever a patient is not ready and I was getting put pressure to discharge a patient, I would always fight and advocate for that patient. No, that patient needs another night. No, that patient's not ready. But the discharge process is one that you can rush. So definitely slow down and make sure the patient has everything they need to be successful when they go back You know, to their home, whether that's a house or maybe that's a homeless encampment, You know, whatever that patient's home may be.
0: Yeah, exactly. I've done a few stories about some patients who... Were released too early, or were released and kind of no no thought was given to where they were going to go and out into the cold with no shoes and no just in a, a hospital gown. I mean, just shocking things like that that can happen. That it's just I feel like just really unnecessary uh, and, yeah. and horrifying to think of. So we've we've talked about a few of those stories, unfortunately that that have happened. Hopefully, not too many of those. Yeah, happen. So, are you married?
1: I am married. We, it's actually our five-year wedding <laughs> anniversary uh, to my husband, Brett. We actually started a little podcast together because he has been with me. We've been you know, together over 10 years. And so he's been with me before I got into nursing school, through nursing school, as a nurse. So he has a very interesting perspective on, on nursing and healthcare that we love to Talk about! I shared so many stories with him. I'm sure he could pass the NCLEX maybe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, because people who are you know married or with with nurses, it definitely takes a an interesting person to be able to love a nurse because our, our life is crazy. You know, uh, just our hours, our. our off the charts, we share crazy, gross, interesting stories, but but he definitely loves it.
0: That's awesome. He sounds a whole lot like my husband. I told him so much about what I do and just nursing in general that he really gets it. I mean, he understands nursing on a level that I think most people who are not medical just could not possibly understand it, just because I talk about it all the time and explain things to him. And so... He really gets it, you know, so it sounds like Brett is very similar.
1: Yeah, he is.
0: So what got you started? Tell everyone what got you started in activism. I really want to hear this. I want them to hear the story.
1: Yeah. uh, Thank you for that question. So when I started nursing school, I had two goals. I wanted to graduate and pass the inflex. I, I honestly wasn't interested in anything else. And on top of nursing school, I was working part-time night shift as a patient care tech in the neuro ICU at a level one. And um, so I really didn't have time. I didn't make time for other things, extracurricular activities, community service, until halfway through my program when I went to go donate blood. So one of my peers, classmates, Emmy, she suffers from sickle cell anemia. And throughout our program, she would miss days, even weeks out of a time. But we didn't realize that she suffered from sickle cell anemia. So after she told us that, you know, we realized that she was being hospitalized and would need life-saving blood transfusions. So she inspired me to go out and donate blood. I had never ever donated blood before, but for Emmy, I was gonna go out and do that. So I remember walking to the blood or walking into the blood donation center and there's posters on the wall, like your donation could save so many lives. And just being in healthcare, like I know the importance of blood donors, especially when there is a natural disaster or a mass casualty incident, there's always an urgent call for, for blood donors and blood donations. So they give me a questionnaire, it's like 52 questions. And one of the questions came up on based on sexuality And the tech calls me back. She reviews my questionnaire. She's like, I'm sorry, Blake, but you can't donate blood. I was like, Why can't I donate blood? She's like, Since you're gay, you're actually banned for life. And I, I go through all these emotions. At first, I'm just embarrassed. I get up and I have to leave. And then I'm driving in my car and I'm confused as to why I'm banned. And then at one point, I just get angry. I get angry for all the people like my friend that need. Know blood donations and they need donors to do it. And the fact that, you know, I was turned away for something I didn't know what at the time that I knew I need to look into it further. So I remember getting home and doing research, and I realized there wasn't one organization or person that was focused on getting the FDA to change their policy. So it's not a law. It was a policy put in place by the FDA back in the eighties that permanently banned gay and bisexual males from donating blood for life. And I thought to myself, like, Hmm, maybe I'll get the FDA to change the policy, but I'm, I'm in school. I'm working. Like I don't have any time, but then I had a little fire and passion to do something about it. So I started a, just a Facebook page called Banned for Life, and I hosted a blood drive on my campus where we encouraged people who were eligible to donate blood in place of those who were banned, like myself. And we also collected petition signatures, just raising awareness on the policy because I even talked to people today, they had no idea that, that people were being banned for life due to antiquated, outdated policies put in place over 30 years ago. So this was my new passion project. So I was doing blood drives around the country. We were collecting petition signatures. And it was all by the work of my peers and people that follow the Ban for Life Facebook page and so we fought for 2 years the FDA and put pressure on them to change it and in december of 2015 they announced and voted that they were lifting the lifetime ban
0: that's just it's remarkable for so so many levels just the, the fact mm-hmm. that you were in nursing school when this kind of hit that that's a lot for anybody to do, just nursing school itself. I couldn't do anything when I was in nursing school. I could barely turn around. I know, right? I couldn't open a door. <laughs> I was just like, I forgot how to
1: use doorknobs.
0: It's just so much. I'd love, though, that you saw, first of all, you saw a need for your friend and you wanted to do something that a lot of people probably would not think to do, and that is to give blood for her. But then, you know, going and, and seeing this injustice and how it, if that, that affects people on, on so many levels. Like It obviously affects the people mm. who aren't getting the blood that they need. When we have a blood shortage, it's, it baffles the mind that someone didn't think about this sooner. But also the just uh, the strain and the stress that it puts on the psyche of the people who are going to try to give blood, to try to do mm-hmm. something good, and um. then to be told that. Uh, I, I think that... Right. People who, and I, I've said this before, but people who, you know, children who realize as they get older that they're homosexual, they have to go through so much mental stress yeah. and strain. It's very difficult because a lot of times they are realizing that they're gay before they actually say it out loud. And so the people around them right. are saying things, or are making jokes, they're ref- using yeah. gay or, you know, I don't even say the words that they use, but they use words yeah. trying to be funny. And yeah. they don't even – they don't realize – they're not directing it at someone who they think is gay, but the people around them are. Right. And they, they know it, but they haven't said right. it out loud. Oh, my gosh. The stress and strain that that causes yeah. to those children yeah. – and, and, and I've said this before as well, when people – Lord, I'm going to get on a soapbox, but when people mm-hmm. say that uh, homosexuality is a mental illness, and and they say, you know, look mm-hmm. at the the mental illness that is that you see in people who are gay or who are, who are homosexual. So my thing is that that is I am not at all surprised because of the way that these children are brought up and then what they witness around them. Who who wouldn't be? Who would not have? Right. You you're, you hate yourself. I mean, you are literally taught to hate yourself because everybody right. around you is saying these awful things. And so by by the time you hear all this hate, it's not directed at you, but you hear it. So you don't want to say it out loud. Right. So then what do you end up doing? Right. That's why the suicide rate is so high in those children. Right. So to think about one more thing, one more aspect of of these people trying to um, go do something good and then to be humiliated and turned yeah. away and just be like, wow, one more area that I have to deal with this. You know.
1: Yeah. For sure it plays into stigma, it plays into why, you know, marginalized groups, you know, Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable going out and seeking healthcare Mm because there are policies and different restrictions or whatever that don't make people feel welcome. And and especially from a policy that's really outdated, you know, I definitely did like, why me? Why am I banned? So it definitely plays into that mental health aspect, you know, for sure. But at that moment that we got the FDA to change the policy, like I realized that as a new nursing student, I had power to create change and getting nurses and nursing students around me all together on one cause because so many times you think like I need a master's degree or I need a doctorate degree to to make change or to get people to listen but no matter where you are in your nursing journey if you have a passion and you give it a voice you have the potential to affect You know, your community and healthcare on a huge scale. You just have to believe in yourself and and don't give up. Just like you said, Tina, like when you launched your podcast, you you thought only two people, you know, were gonna listen to it. But you had a passion, you stuck with it for three years, and you're about to hit a million downloads and celebrate your three year anniversary. You know, with Band for Life, it was a two year process, and I could have given up any one of those days, but but I stuck with it. I believed in my in my project. I was really passionate about it. And so anyone out there, no matter if you're a nursing student or you're a nurse or new grad, if you are passionate about something, go and do it because if you don't, who will? And our communities need us now more than ever. I think COVID has definitely brought to light a lot of issues that different you know, groups and populations face. So I just challenge you, You know, at the end of the day, uh, we're patient advocates And I consider my patient advocate, not only on the clock, but also off the clock.
0: I love that. And you have literally created this organization as well, right? Tell people about this organization, this new, I love this, this community (laughs) of nurses that you've, that you've created. I I want you to just tell them all about
1: it. Yeah, so thank you so much for being a member of NurseCon. This has definitely been a big project of mine. Ever since I launched Bam for Life, I've been very involved with different organizations. I was actually president of the Florida Nursing Students Association. And because there are four million nurses, over four million nurses in the US, it's so great to see nurses come together to create change and just talk. But So many nursing organizations out there, they definitely put people in little groups, whether you're the Med Surge Nurse Association or the pediatric or the trauma. So I decided to launch NurseCon, which is a nursing organization where no matter where you are in your journey, no matter where you live, you can become a part of NurseCon. So what's really cool about the community is we have anyone from Pre nursing students to nursing students to CNOs, deans of nursing colleges, all in the community interacting with one another. Because at the end of the day, when we take our badges off and we take the, remove the titles behind our name, we're all nurses. We're all in healthcare uh, to do one thing, and that's really to care for others. So. A part of being a member, you get access to free CE and e courses, uh, which are super fun and interactive. We have new courses every week. We have special discounts for our members to, to different brands like Scrubs and Beyond. We also have wellness classes like yoga and meditation. Because how many times do hospitals or facilities tell us you need to focus on your mental health, you need to be more resilient, but they don't offer any resources. So we have custom meditations and yoga uh, for nurses, like pre-shift stretching. Uh, Maybe you lost a patient one day and we have a meditation on loss of a patient and we have new wellness courses coming out every week. And of course our awesome community where everyone kind of chats and interacts on a daily basis. So that's NurseCon. We just launched it a few months ago. And I want to thank you, Tina, for being a member. And you're also coming on NurseCon at Sea next year. I am so excited sailing out of Miami. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be so much fun. And I actually want to invite you to record your podcast in front of a live audience at NurseCon at Sea.
0: I cannot even, you guys know, I know everybody listening, this is going, she must be losing her mind right now.
1: (laughs) Yes. I want you to record an episode live (laughs) of the Good Nurse, Bad Nurse Honors Committee next year.
0: I absolutely will love to do that. I am so excited. That is Wow. What a dream come true. That is for me to, to be able to do that. I, it's really hard for me. To, I was just so excited when I got my ticket. Uh, Kiki and I <laughs> got our tickets and my husband and we were so excited and another friend of ours from work and we were just like, hey. oh, I can't wait. COVID had to come along.
1: Oh my gosh. This... I know.
0: Oh, so upset. But you know what? it's okay. It'll be fine. There was a lot of worse things that happened. It's one more for year that sure. we have. And you know, if it had happened this year, I wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. I mean, I, so uh-huh. I, I am so thrilled to be able to do that. That's very exciting. And you guys listening, if you, I don't know, if, have you, I don't know if it's sold out. I yeah, think
1: it's we're like, we're like 92% sold out. We only have a few interior rooms left, but if you want to join, uh, you can at com. And thank you so much for being patient. I never expected a pandemic, you know, to impact our, our sailing, but Thank you for your patience. It's it's what I work on, you know, full-time now as nurse kind of nurse kind of see because I'm so passionate about bringing nurses together and letting other nurses kind of share their stories and lift other nurses up because nurses are incredible and that's what I love about your podcast is you are able to, you know, share stories of bad, but more importantly, good nurses out there that are saving lives. Because even in school, when they talk about an incredible nurse, it kind of ends with Florence Nightingale, who is incredible and definitely one of my main influences in my nursing practice. I talk about her all the time, but there's so many other nurses that are alive today that are out there doing amazing things.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you guys go look up NurseCon, go to NurseCon.com. It's NurseCon.com, right? Yeah. And we don't have an app yet, right? It's coming. It's soon. coming. I, I'm excited about the app.
1: Yes, I'm super excited about that.
0: But you can go to the website. And the thing about it is if you think about how if you're on Facebook or another social media group like that, and you can connect with like a group of nurses, it's so much fun because you can like talk to each other. But this is literally the whole community is nurses. It's all sorts of different types of nurses. And Blake is on there interacting with everyone. (laughs) It is so much fun. He does a happy hour once a a month. Every month. So much fun. Uh... I'm telling you, you guys, you definitely need to go to nursecotton.com and just check this out. The CNEs alone, uh, you know, I mean, just yeah. to have a, a more fun way of getting CNEs uh, instead of the <laughs> typical, you know, dry stuff. So,
1: yeah. Uh, and everything's included. You know, some people are like, if I pay for a membership, how much are CNEs? It's like all included in, in mm-hmm. your membership. But what's so cool is we have international nurses from Australia and the UK. And it is just so cool to interact and see, you know, how, how their practice is different, but how we can relate to the same things.
0: Yeah, you guys. There, there are actually we have a lot of international listeners, and we've had yeah. people on the podcast. We've had nurses from the UK, nurses from a nurse from Scotland, um, Australia, all over that have been on this podcast, and we they listen. So, you guys don't think that you can't you can go to NurseCon as well, and we can all just kind of like interact with each other. Thank you all so much for sticking around for our new Nursing News segment. Not Necessarily Nursing News is brought to you by Live Well Health. They understand that health insurance as a nurse is complicated, especially if you're a travel nurse or working PRN. Just go to goodnursebadnurse.com today and click the Live Well Health link to let them show you all your options for health insurance and find a plan catered to your needs and budget. That's goodnursebadnurse.com and click the Live Well Health link. Well, I guess that brings us to the not necessarily nursing news segment. And, you know, in full disclosure, you guys are listening to the episode that I recorded with Nurse Blake, and in all my excitement and nervousness and anxiety about actually recording an episode with Nurse Blake, I literally got off the Zoom call with him and realized I had forgotten to do this segment (laughs) So, <laughs> I asked my husband to come on and just record this little tiny segment.
2: Called In the Bench.
0: Yeah. Which is funny because he actually helped me write this this article. And it's really, I love the article. And we got the idea because it's Nurses Week. Nurses Week was coming up a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I was talking about how it's so ridiculous that nurses all literally are taking up money to buy uh, items to go into baskets that get auctioned off to give nurses, to go into like these nurses' funds. It's, it's like nurses are taking up money to give each other stuff. And like, it's ridiculous.
2: You've actually done that. A few times.
0: Well, we have. And so uh, I, I don't remember which one of us came up with the idea, but it was so funny that we just sort of uh, started talking about how funny it would be if nurses, you know, got together and were taking up money and then kind of got themselves into trouble. And so we came up with the idea. So this article is called Nurses Arrested for Accidental Ponzi Scheme Intended to Fund Pay Raises. In an effort to help hospital executives struggling to find funds to give pay raises to nurses, two nurses at One Step from the Grave Medical Center accidentally found themselves arrested and charged with starting a Ponzi scheme. It all started innocently enough, explained Nurse Patty. We felt like we deserved a pay raise, and we just thought we'd do what we always do when faced with an impossible situation and just take care of it ourselves. Knowing that hospital executives were already overburdened with the financial responsibility of renovating the front lawn statues dedicated to past hospital executives, the nurses decided not to bother them with their insignificant request. Instead, they began to take up a collection from other nurses that they could then use to give pay raises to each other. Sounds simple enough. Their plans started to unravel when they realized they would have to keep the collection going indefinitely. The nurses are not being accused of masterminding the scheme in order to get rich or bankroll a lavish lifestyle. On the contrary, it appears a desperate attempt to boost morale and keep more nurses from leaving the bedside. Alas, it just spun further out of control as the two ended up mortgaging their homes and selling priceless family heirlooms to keep the pay raise scheme afloat. So um, that was so much fun to write. I I had a lot of fun (laughs) writing it. We went back and forth kind of tweaking it. And obviously it's satire and it's meant to, you know, exaggerate and kind of make fun of the the fact that obviously nurses don't get paid what we deserve. What I've said this before. We don't. Nurses do not... Make the amount of money that is equal to the amount of responsibility that's placed on their shoulders.
2: No, I've talked to you before about my job. I uh, am a software developer and I realize the amount of education that I, I've had and I, I realize what you've had. But when I compare what we do, it just seems everything is more demanding for you because. You know, the worst mistake I could possibly make, uh, I don't have to worry about anyone dying. And I don't have to worry about losing my license so that I can't practice my profession anymore. And I don't have to deal with the public. So it's just on and on. Everything seems, you know, out of whack when it comes to nurses' pay.
0: Yeah, and it's not just that... We have so much response. That's one thing. We have all the responsibility that we. They also require that we are highly educated and highly skilled. We are required. Many hospitals are now requiring bachelor degrees. We're at least required to have an associate's degree, and and, and the vast majority. And so, it's hard for me to to understand how we can be in twenty twenty one. Needing as many nurses as we need working at the bedside have the massive shortage. I've always heard my whole life, you know, about capitalism and how there's just supply and demand. And if you if you if you need more of something, that would drive the 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 cost of that up. If you're needing more nurses, that should drive the cost of the pay rate up. And it doesn't work that way in nursing. It doesn't work yeah. that way in healthcare in general for some yeah. reason.
2: Yeah, and I, I've always, when we've talked about this, I've always landed on the reality that it's it's only people's lives. Uh, it's not about money. So there, will always be the next person if if things go wrong and someone dies. I'm not sure that it affects the bottom line mm-hmm. for a hospital.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I don't think that there's any. It's not like there's one person that's sitting there going, well, do I let someone die or do I pocket the money there? It's not that, it's not that cut and dried. It's just that making the, the choices to run hospitals at such a lean margin, you know, mm-hmm. to where you have just barely, just really barely under enough staff for every single, posi- every single department, every single type of position and Therefore, you're running as lean as you can, make you know, and and staying in the black as much as you possibly can, saving every single penny that you possibly can. And nurses, as we all know, it's the the biggest line item on the the list of costs for hospitals. And we're listed most hospitals were listed under room and board.
2: Mm, wow. <laughs> and it just seems that. Everything that comes up, every new policy seems to go against the nurses. You know, like Mm -hmm. it falls on you to make sure something gets done.
0: Well, and I I do think that I I believe that the people running hospitals and in general, they know that nurses are the type of people who are not going to let someone suffer if there's absolutely anything they can do to keep from it. They're not going to just say, "Well, it's not my job. I'm not going to do it." And not only are they not going to, you know, let someone suffer, but they're not going to allow the garbage to be flowing, you know, overflowing into the floor. It's just going to drive them crazy, and so they're going to take out the garbage, even though it's not their job. And they're going to see that the floor is dirty, and they're going to take bleach wipes and mop the floor with their feet and bleach wipes. And they're gonna, they're going to do what they can do, anything they possibly can do to try to do make everything better make everything look nice and run efficiently by doing other people's jobs because there's not enough staff and what ends up happening is oh you mean we're doing actually doing okay i mean yeah we were we were understaffed for a while but we seem to be managing okay maybe we don't need any more of the staff and it's because the nurses just keep absorb absorbing more and more and, more. and it's eventually it's going to break you can't just you can't just we can't just keep this going on indefinitely. Um, but I thought it was a funny way to kind of get that conversation out there. I think it's definitely something we have to keep talking about and bringing awareness about because we at some point, i I don't want to stop being a nurse. i want to I want to be a nurse. So I don't I, I want to figure out a way to make things better. I think
2: educating the public is yeah. a good place to start because I know. Before you were a nurse, I had no concept of what nurses do and what they know and what demands are placed on them every day. And so I I have a a high regard and respect for nurses Mm -hmm. now that I know. And I think people in general would feel the same. They just don't understand.
0: Yeah, I was that way, too, before I became a nurse. I became a nurse, you know, I was older And I didn't understand it either. So I I think that we do all have a responsibility to try to, you know, band together and educate people about this so that maybe something can be done. I don't know. Thanks for coming on the show (laughs) and helping me fix my big faux pas. So somehow I managed to get myself through that and not make a complete fool out of myself, I hope. But <laughs> I appreciate you so, so much. You just have no idea for coming on. Uh, just remind everyone of all the ways that you that they can reach you. Where all can they find you?
1: Yeah. If you want to find me, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. And also you could always find me at nursecon.com.
0: And you guys know you can... Email me all your complaints and all the stuff that I said wrong. I love it when you guys email me. Please be nice. Gosh, sometimes you guys are just like smacking me on the back of the hand. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say something wrong. But you can find me at tina at com, And I'm on Instagram at and I'm terrible on Facebook and Twitter. So sorry. We're also on YouTube. Um, we're trying to get better, aren't we, Kiki? <laughs> Not as good. The podcast is my baby. And so the other stuff is sort of like, you know, I try, but we do the best we can.
1: And congrats again on 1 million downloads. Thank you. And
0: also, I just want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Yeah.